Amen. Can we give our worship team a round of applause this morning for an excellent performance? Thank you. Thank you all so much. If we have not had the privilege of being introduced, uh, my name is Austin Michael. I lead the youth programming here. Uh, they, for some reason, entrusted me uh, with a bunch of high school-aged children, and most of the time that results in them beating each other with pool noodles, so it's a great time. Um, couple of disclaimers going into this. First and foremost, of course, the week that I'm supposed to preach is also the week that I come down with a cold. So we're going to blame the voice cracks on the cold and not nerves, okay? Um, I'm going to ask you to bear with me. But I've come prepared. I've been told by several pastors that what they teach you in seminary is, is the best sermon includes three things, creation, the end, and C.S. Lewis. So, we'll be in Genesis today, we'll be in Revelation today, and we will also be quoting C.S. Lewis today. Um, but if you would, really quickly, just bow your heads with me, I'd like to open in prayer. Father God, I want to thank you for everyone in this room. I want to thank you for trusting me to come up here and do my best at being a vessel for you. I want to thank you for every person that I may have coerced with donuts to be here this morning. And I pray that you'll work in the hearts of every single person in this room and, and help them to hear your word. Help them to know that this is your word, not mine. And for the next 30-ish minutes, this is you, not me. It's in Christ we pray and remember. Amen. So today I'm going um, to be talking about something that is very near and dear to my heart, the importance of community. Because if there's one thing that has had a greater impact on my life than anything else, that is the people, the friends, and the loved ones that we've accumulated along the way. To be frank, I would not be here today if it weren't for my amazing family and my amazing community that helped get me to this spot. Now, is that me? Am I doing that? Whoops. This is the problem. It's okay. Okay. So, I would like to go ahead and start with uh, something that is rather comical to me, personally, um, and that is the story of Y2K. Now, for kids in the room, um, a long, long, long time ago, many, many generations ago, when they first started to determine and think about uh, these things that we now call computers, back when they had to carry them around in a bag and, and kind of have them sitting in the center console, and they were concerned that a computer could not count to 2,000. Now, that's an oversimplified version of that, uh, but what I find so comical about that is if, if we had somebody of my generation or your generation here today, we'd be like, yeah, you just got to hit the update button in the software settings and it'd be good to go. I promise the nukes aren't gonna launch themselves. The planes aren't gonna fall out of the sky. I promise it's gonna be great. Um, but, all, uh, but just the same, as we're going through high school and we're going through life and we think the world is falling apart, those that predated Y2K are here to tell us that no, it, it's gonna be okay. And so today I wanna focus not on just the importance of community, but the importance of intergenerational community.
I'd love to take a look at this section right here. I have the privilege of ministering to the most amazing group of students that I've ever met in my life, hands down. And to be honest, that wouldn't be a possibility if it that went into getting me where I am today. So, I'm going to open with a little bit of a personal story just to kind of give you some insight on who I am. Because these kids know me really well. Probably too well. But you all may not. <clears throat> when I was 11 years old... Um, 11-year-old me would not be standing up here today, I can tell you that right now. 11-year-old me wouldn't have a conversation with you eye to eye. Um, 11-year-old me rarely left the house, to be honest. I had like two friends, still only have like two friends, but I can now have a conversation face to face. And going through elementary school and everything, you know, it, it was a tough time. I was pushed off slides, I was called names, all the stereotypical nerd stuff. I wore the big bifocals like I do now, right? And um, one day my mom was like, you know, it's... it's we're done with you being bullied. So they took me to a place to have me beat up for five. No, uh, they took me to a place <laughs> in which I met an amazing ministry. Um, met a man by the name of Gene Fletcher. He's the bald guy in the back today, in case you're wondering. And uh, he taught me how to fight. But not only that, he taught me uh, how to look somebody in the eye. He taught me what it means to have faith. He taught me what it means to continue to fight and to get up and to live by Jesus' sacrifice. Four years into my journey, I was 15 years old. I was a red belt, and, and red belt at the time was the one right before black. I was almost really cool. <laughs> and my mentor of four years was convicted of several felonies and sent to prison for 14 years. The man who, not Gene, by the way, much <laughs> preference, one of the other mentors, yeah, one of, one of the other mentors in our ministry, whom I trained with five to six days a week, he would pick me up from school, feed me, teach me, we would run through arcadas together. We would fight together. It was the joke that as Isaiah is Gene's prodigal son, I was the prodigal son to this man. Four years in, he was convicted, and he told me, you will not get your black belt without me. You won't do it without me. You can't. Without me, you are weak. So I did what any rational 15-year-old would do, and I did nothing but train for nine months to earn my black belt. Uh, bleed, sweat, cry on the mat and get to that point. But what I realized is that after like green belt, I stopped earning my belts. What really wound up happening was the people that I trained with, the mentors in my life, my leaders, they started earning them for me by continuing to pour into me. The community that continued to pray over me and to fight for me, my parents who at home would encourage me on the days of a belt test where I know I'm about to get beat up for 14 hours, so I'm having a, a, a panic attack in the living room and crying on the floor because I don't want to go get yelled at. My mom's laughing because she remembers this. It was those communities that continued to push me. I remember on the day that I earned my black belt, I was supposed to be waking up at 5 o'clock in the morning, but my new mentor, Isaiah, uh, mildly overslept that morning, which was a blessing in disguise because I was a nervous, nervous wreck as soon as I show up. But don't worry, although he had to work that day, 
He did conveniently show up just in enough time to beat me to a pulp on the mat and cause every muscle in my body to cramp. I tell you this just so you kind of get an understanding of my backstory, but also so you understand that as a community, we continue to push each other, hurt each other sometimes, and force each other to grow. There are several of those people that I look up to that would not get up on this stage if you paid them to do it. But I look up to them just the same. So I'd like to start in Romans today, specifically Romans 12. And, and to give you a little insight, Paul is writing here uh, to the church in Rome, giving them a little bit of an insight on what it means to go ahead and build this community. See, we get this misconception sometimes that when we follow Christ, we have to be step for step exactly like Christ was, same personality, same jokes, same. And although I've mastered the jokes section, I'm not quite sure I've mastered anything else in that regard. But Paul writes to them and he says this. This is in Romans 12. I'm going to start in three. You're going to start on four up on the screen. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought to, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ, though many form one body, each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. It is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. And if it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Maybe you are here today and you're not quite sure where you fit in in this church. I remember a little over two years ago, when Gene asked me to start helping out at church, I was like, All right, are you sure that's a good idea? Because I'm known as one of the mean coaches. We get out on the mat, and I'm the one handing out push-ups left and right, right? June B, stand still. Why are you fidgeting? I know you're seven, but sit still for five seconds, right? And he's like, no, I, I know that your presence will make more of an impact than you realize. And as I went through the spiritual journey of figuring out what exactly my gifts were, took this awesome thing called Discover Class with Pastor Josh, I was able to determine what exactly I was best at. So what I'm here to tell you is, is that maybe your thing isn't to get up on stage in front of a bunch of people and talk about God, and that's okay. Maybe your thing is to be the quiet one in the background that's willing to pray over people, even silently. Maybe your, your thing is to go out and make things for people, build things, make their life better through physical improvements. Maybe your thing is to preach. Maybe it's to lead youth, to lead elementary students. If so, please come find one of us after service. We would love to have you. I promise, they don't all bite. But before we get into 
what it's going to take for us to build as a community. I, I promised you C.S. Lewis, so we're going to go ahead and start there. In the preface to uh, C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity, which as a matter of fact wasn't initially a book, it was the 1940s version of a podcast, and he transcribed it into a book. He says this, and secondly, I think we must admit, and, and keep in mind, he's talking to fellow believers here. He's talking about how we can spread the faith and what it means to follow Christ. And at the beginning of this, he's kind of laying out some ground rules as to what to expect going into reading this transcript. He says, and secondly, I think we must admit that the discussion of these disputed points, meaning the things that divide churches, meaning the things that cause different denominations, well, we don't want a clock on the wall over here, or, well, we think that church service should be this long and you should wear this to go to church. All of those things, C.S. Lewis is saying, the discussion of these disputed points has no tendency at all to bring an outsider into the Christian fold. So long as we write and talk about them, we are much more likely to deter him from entering any Christian communion than to draw him into our own. Our divisions should never be discussed except in the presence of those who have already come to the belief that there is one God and that Jesus Christ is his only son. If this is your first time in a church in 20 years, or if this is your 20th time in church this week. That's a ground rule that I'm going to lay right now. I am always open to debate semantics. One of my favorite things is debate. But right now, our focus is on serving God in the best way possible. My only priority today is that Christ lived died and rose again for everyone in this room. He suffered for every one of us. Every other minor thing I don't care about right now. As a matter of fact, most of the time I won't care anyways because what I care about is spreading the love and showing you what it means to be a follower of Christ. So today I'm going I'm to tackle a major lie and a truth about community in today's society. See, I know that um, the American dream is to go work 60 hours a week, make that overtime, and, and get your white picket fence house, and focus on what it's going to mean to raise three young ones and then retire by 60-ish, unless you're in France. See, the biggest lie is friends and community are for when you have time to. I'm going to reference just last night, as I told you, I was a little under the weather, and um, I have the privilege of being engaged to the most beautiful woman on the face of this planet. She pushes me. She drives me to be better. I won't point at you, don't worry. And last night as I'm sitting in my recliner, just mucinex. Cough drop, mucinex, cough drop. Coffee because I hate tea, mucinex, right? All the, the blinds are closed. The cat doesn't even come see me because it's that bad. And I'm sitting here and I'm like, I do not want to move. We're on FaceTime and Alina, one of our friends, texts us and says, hey, what are you guys doing tonight? <sighs> Hopefully sitting in this recliner until I pass out from the amount of cough medicine I've taken. And instead, my fiance Kate replies with nothing. What's up? See, and what I realized 
after we're going, we, we started bickering back and forth, like, I just want to stay home today. I love them. I want to see them, but I feel like crap. I just want to stay home today as we're bickering back and forth. And, and, and we finally get there, and I realize as soon as we walk in, wow, this is what I needed. Brian, their littlest one, runs up to me, and he gives me a hug, and he starts laughing and just that innocent child's laugh, which for me only comes from community because I'm a long ways from that right now. was enough to heal my soul. So I'm telling you, the, tr- the truth is community and friendships are fundamental to your spiritual survival. Friends are not optional. Community is not optional. It's not a, when we have time, we'll go hang out with people. Not just family, friends. When it's convenient, we'll go hang out with people. No. I'm telling you, for your spiritual survival, for your emotional success, for your physical well-being, you need the people around you that love you. Unfortunately, sometimes we do have to crawl out of the hobbit hole that we've created for ourselves. See, some things have been consistent from the beginning until the end. Now, so long as my bookmarks are in the right place here, I'm going to read first out of Genesis and then jump to Revelation. I told you we were going to go from the beginning to the end. Genesis 2.18, just a little recap so we're all on the same page. This is as God is creating everything. God's sitting there with Adam and he makes a ton of animals and, and, and everything and he's like, all right. Any uh, spouse or wife in the room or, or girlfriend or fiance in the room of a knows that if a man is left alone for too long, terrible things are bound to ensue one way or another, right? And even in Eden, God knew that. The Lord said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a suitable helper for him. And like, let's be real, fellas. Our ladies are more than helpers. They're kind of our lifeline, right? Yesterday, um, Kate looks at me and says, get in the car, we're going to CVS. Because my diet consisted of Mucinex and Coca-Cola. And that was my fix to a cold. And so she took me to CVS. She held my hand as we walked in. Felt like a five-year-old. We walked to the medicine section. She let me pick out my favorite color of cough drops. (laughs) She even let me have some input on what kind of tea that we were going to have, because I was having tea whether I wanted it or not. And this, this is what I'm so excited for over the next year. One of the best parts about community, community also includes what's inside of your own home. It includes the person that you will share four walls with, the person that you will raise children with. God says in Genesis 2.24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. Now, we're going to jump to Revelation here. Again, bookmarks provided. And don't worry. I speak loud enough that if you can't jump along with me in your Bible, that's okay. You'll hear it, I promise. You know, there's this important distinction 
that is made at the beginning of Revelation. It says this in Revelation 1-3, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the word of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart, what is written in it, because the time is near. Okay, bases covered for a Sunday morning. We're all blessed now because I read it, you heard it, right? But notice it didn't say blessed are those who have been coming to church for the last 20 years. Blessed are those who have checked a certain number of boxes before they can consider themselves good Christians. Blessed are those who have dotted their T's, or dotted their I's and crossed their T's. Blessed are those who hear it and take it to heart. Your only job this morning is to hear it and take it to heart. Revelation 19, 6 through 9, one of my personal favorite sections of the Bible. And as we're reading this, I need you to put your mind back to the last wedding that you attended. Because it's told that when heaven and earth are are, are combined again, and God's people are gathered, they will gather to supper for the wedding of Christ to the church. So put your mind, you're sitting at that awkward round table with the people that you kind of know, kind of don't. You, you, you thought this through. You had friends come with you to this wedding, or you, you tried to pick out exactly which cousin you know the best to sit with, right? Put yourself at that table. Then I heard what sounded like a great magnitude, like the roar of rushing waters, like petals Sorry, like loud peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, has given to her to wear. Then the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. See, Jesus and I had a conversation, and uh, he had some RSVPs for me to hand out today. And today I'm going to go ahead and hand those out to you. Every one of you is invited. Not only that, but here's what's going to happen when we make it to that table. You are going to look around, and you're going to see the loved ones and the ones in your community that you care for. Those are the ones that will sit with with you at your table. My question to you is this. Who is it right now that you would be heartbroken to not see at that table? I'm not saying that you have to go on some major missions trip to a really scary part of the world. Anderson's scary enough and it's only 10 minutes away. Okay? <laughs> I'm not saying that you have to go on some major crusade and start preaching every Sunday morning and... and We've got it pretty well here. We don't have to meet in church underground and be afraid that we'll be shot as soon as we walk out. But for some reason, we'll still let people fall through the cracks. We'll still have people that we want to see, but we're too afraid that if we invite them to church, that if we keep pushing Christ, if we keep talking about God, we're afraid that we're going to push them away. But C.S. Lewis kind of covered it pretty well earlier, right? 
if your major point, your major focus is that Christ lived and died for you and loves you, suffered for you, conquered hell, conquered death to come save you, if that's all we're worried about, you have the golden ticket to the Polar Express. I think I quoted that right. And you have an infinite coffee. Copy. Infinite coffee. That would be phenomenal. No. <laughs> From beginning to end, it has never been good for man to be alone. From beginning to end, at no point does God say, hey, you're going to go out there and do this yourselves. One of my favorite traditions for a belt test. See, I had to come up with a Coach Bull story, black belts, that was appropriate for me to share on stage, and there's about only one. This is it. He said to me, I remember when I went for my yellow belt, I got the privilege of watching Isaiah fight for his black belt. And both said to me, hey, don't worry, you've got like two belts before you have to make that happen, okay? I know he looks crazy, but you don't have to worry about that right now. Well, by the time that I had to worry about it, he pulled me aside and he said, you get one pass. See, coach is going to send like dudes twice your size at you and tell them to punch you in the face like you're a grown man. If at any point you get scared, if at any point you get overwhelmed, you call for me. I'll take the beating for you. At any time, throughout any of those tests, I was never alone, even if I was in the ring alone. See, here's the cool thing. He would limit me to just one, so I didn't call on every single match until my test was over. But Jesus isn't limiting you to just one. See, at no point are you ever alone. You're on the toilet, scrolling on your phone, you're not alone. Okay? You're crying in your bedroom because you're not sure how rent's going to be made or mortgage is going to be paid for, how we're going to get the kids through college, you're not alone. You had a huge fight with your significant other or your family and you're convinced that you're going to spend the rest of your life as a crazy cat dude with two cats and be alone the rest of your life? That wasn't personal at all. <laughs> you're not alone. What I'm asking you is I'm asking for us to please make it easier on yourself. Allow us to do this together. Now, I'm horrible with names, okay? So I'm not going to claim that I'll know every one of your names every time that you introduce yourself to me. It's going to take me a couple times, I promise. Ask the kids. But what I need you to know is if this is our first time meeting or if this is our 40th time meeting or if you've known me my entire life, I will pray with you. I will fight with you. I don't care what your church background is. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what darkness you think you have inside of you or darkness that you think you have manifested. I don't care why you think you're unqualified. Guess what? I am so unqualified to do this, it's not even funny. But God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the ones that he calls. If you hear nothing else today, this is what I need you to hear. You are wanted here. You are wanted in this building every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You are wanted here. If that means I gotta buy an extra dozen donuts, I'll do it. 
But beyond that, you are needed here. I told you I was going to get personal today. I wasn't sure if I was going to share this one, but I will. See, a couple years after um, the whole fiasco with losing a mentor had happened, I, I, I trained for nine months to get my black belt 100% out of spite. Not because I wanted to be a good coach, not because I wanted to be a great black belt, but because I wanted to prove him wrong. After that, as soon as I got my black belt, I stopped training. I spiraled. In a couple of years of doing a lot of things that I'm not proud of, and one of those nights ended up with me in my best friend's bathroom with a knife in my hand. I was done. My best friend practically kicked that door down and said, if you ever try to harm my brother again, I will beat you to an inch of your life. And it was the nicest thing that anyone's ever said to me. I need you to never get to that spot. The suffering has already happened. It's already been paid for. The sins have already been paid for. There's nothing that you can do to qualify yourself for God, and there's nothing you can do to unqualify yourself for God. That's the beauty of grace. But I also need you to understand something. That same best friend, he uh, recently went through a surgery that uh, removed a tumor out of his back, and he named it after me, um, <laughs> which was one of the largest honors of my entire life. Because the reality is, is most of the time, ask my fiance, we're going to drive each other insane. If you come onto this crazy journey with us here at Catalyst, at some point, somebody in this room, look around, at some point, we're going to drive you crazy. I'm going to frustrate you. Maybe I can't sit still when I teach, and that bothers you. Sorry. At some point, we're going to come to an impasse that only Christ can take us further in. I'm going to encourage you that as we continue to make these relationships, you put Christ at the center. See, when I met Kate, that wasn't my focus. But now that we have taken the opportunity to put Christ at the center of our relationship, it has been the biggest blessing and the biggest struggle all at the same time. It's not easy. It's not. So just like those crappy Instagram commercials that tell you these are the three-step guides uh, in order to maintain success, I'm going to give you three pointers. I'm not saying they're the only three that will hopefully make this a little bit easier. First one's going to be forgiveness. If there was a word that carried more weight, I don't know it. We live in a society that as soon as somebody upsets another person, they're cut out of their life. Think of a breakup. Think of your last breakup. How fun was it? I understand some people in the room are thinking a really long ways away, so think of the last time that you had a falling out with a family. Looking at you, Jim. Forgiveness is not optional. At a certain point, I am going to upset you. I tell the kids this all the time. 
at some point, I'm going to hurt your feelings. If I do not hurt your feelings, I am not doing my job. See, one of the hardest parts about following God is that sometimes we're going to read something in Scripture that we're like, ooh, that doesn't sit right with me. For a lot of people, that's forgiveness. There is not a criteria that something has to stay under to be eligible for forgiveness. I know that we live in a world where we give different weights to different sins, but in the eyes of God, a sin is a sin regardless of what it is. Whether you stole an apple at the grocery store when you were five or you killed someone, a sin is a sin. It is not up to us to determine what does and does not allow for forgiveness. Luke 6, 37 says this, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Don't, it's not forgive when it's convenient or when it's easy for you. It's not don't judge when they look and act just like you. We're told to forgive and we will be forgiven. End of story. Does that make it easy? No. It took me several years to forgive uh, my ex-mentor for what happened. And if by some miracle he's watching today, I'd hope you know that he's forgiven. doesn't mean I forget. It doesn't mean the relationship has to go back to exactly the same way that it was. As a matter of fact, turmoil creates growth in one way or another. forgiveness is not optional. The second one, patience. Now, I think it's fair to say, and we, we joke, we, we harp on the young kids for being an instant gratification society, but I would, I would probably go ahead and say that fast food, drive-throughs, on-demand TV, cell phones, Facebook, Amazon, two-day shipping or less, have kind of turned all of us into instant gratification people in some way or another. I, man, I wish it were that easy. See, I'm the type that if, if Kate and I get into an argument, I'm like, all right, so what do I have to do to make this okay in five minutes? Like, let's go. Because I know you're mad at me, and I know it's going to come up later. I would like to just go ahead and take care of it now, Right? Fellas, how often does that work? Never, right? Because I've, I've slowly over time become impatient. I think logically, and I think, okay, problem, solution. I rarely take into account the emotions behind it. But through patience, I think Proverbs 1429 puts it perfectly. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but who is quick to temper displays folly. There are a lot of people in my life that were all very opinionated and very loud spoken. It's both a blessing and a curse. You're going to know what I think. I apologize now for my delivery. But often that turns into 
I mean, you guys have felt it. If you're in relationships, you know. One person takes it up to here with a raised voice or a cheap shot. And then it goes here and here and here. And the next thing you know, we're dredging up problems from five years ago. Yelling at each other. I will tell you this, the second that you've gotten to the point where you're raising your voice, you've already lost. Arguments aren't about winning or losing anyways. But if you're to the point where you're raising your voice, you've already lost. Unless you are yelling to Kia and Akata, yelling does you no good. Thank you for the three people in the room that that made sense to. And lastly, humility. Second Chronicles 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, and seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and will hear, heal their land. This is probably my biggest struggle of those three is humility. Because, man, I earned that black belt. There are two three people in this room right now that I know could probably whoop me. Actually, no, my mother's in the room. Four people in this room right now that I know could whoop me. We oftentimes take such pride in the things that make us who we are. To function in community together You have to be able to lay all of that at God's feet. If we are talking, we are brothers and sisters in Christ before we are anything else, before we are husbands, wives, black belts, white belts, we'll include everyone. Before we are carpenters or lawyers or doctors or coaches, we are brothers and sisters in Christ before anything else. I, uh, I'm a very visual person, so I'm going to throw some things at kids today. I promise they're aware of it, so they they won't get hurt, okay? But as an act of humility, you have to be willing to lay certain things at God's feet. And I'm a firm believer of leading by example, so I'll start there. So I've got a few things here, and most of these are going to be random, and I'll give a brief explanation, although I'm already over time, so I'm going to try to stick to it, okay? I want you to close your eyes really quick with me and think of what is it that makes you who you are? What is it that you take pride in? What is it that if that were stripped from you would hit you deep? Are you truly ready to take everything about you and lay it at God's feet? You can open your eyes. Now, Judah, I told you there's two things you need to catch. This is the third, okay? I'll start here. To my best friend, I pray that God is with her and protects her. To the love of my life, it's not in here, don't worry, okay? 
to the love of my life and the happiest day that I've had so far. God, I pray that you will take this relationship and do with it what you will. It's in here, so I'll throw it. To my current best friends, the fur babies, as you provide for me, I pray that you'll provide for them. It's probably my biggest point of pride. One of the biggest things that makes me who I am. Take it. For those of you in the room that don't know, that's like a cardinal sin, what I just did. It's going to be okay. And lastly, kind of, to an unhealthy hobby that I probably spend way too much time doing, <laughs> take it. For those of you who can't see this, this is a picture of me and some youth students at Kings Island. To the best calling that I've ever had in the, one of the largest honors of my life, take it. And this is going to make sense to about three people in the room. But to my family and the childhood memories that I have, take it. We have to be willing to lay everything at God's feet regardless of what happens. I don't need any of that to be who God needs me to be. And trust that whatever you give to God, if he wants you to have it, he'll give it back to you. It's not a guarantee that you lose everything. So in, in traditional style, and fellas, after our conversation on Wednesday, you better be taking notes. You all are going to get to hear the small group questions that my youth students are about to go into right after service. And, and we're going to be here till one. I'm not going to stop you if you want to group together and kind of chat about these after service. I know most of us won't, and that's okay. Kids, you ready? You taking notes? You good to go? I need at least one guy and one girl to know that we're not going to look at each other in small group circle and be like, uh, okay. How is your community life right? <clears throat> See, there it is. How is your community life right now? And I need you to elaborate. Caroline, don't worry. I'll send you a picture of these. Who do you need to forgive? Who needs your patience? And what do you need to let go? Adults, I'd encourage you to think about those two. So as we bow our heads and pray here, I'm going to invite the worship team back up on stage. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me and just think about those questions in your mind. Father God, I want to thank you for the opportunity to spread your word. I want to thank you for your patience. I want to thank you for your forgiveness. I want to thank you for the humility that you still instill in each of us. I pray that you'll continue to hope. I hope that if they are just here for me, that they will come back. I pray that you'll remind us every day of the sacrifice that your son made, the fact that hell has been conquered, death has been conquered, and our sins have been forgiven. I pray that you'll continue to let us work in community, to work on these three areas, and continue to grow ourselves spiritually. It's in Christ we pray and remember. Amen. Now, 
I'm not supposed to be here. That's okay. Church, I'm not supposed to be here right now, but I just want to come up and recognize this young man. We are so proud of him. But more importantly, you've seen what we're about here as a church. We pour into people. We disciple them. Pastor Gene poured into this young man. Pastor Josh and I are doing the same, and we are blessed because we have this young man to raise up new and current leaders in the church right now. And so I just want you to recognize how important community is, what Austin just talked about here this morning. And I want you to take it to heart. And ultimately, at the end of the day, as Austin just talked about, it's only because of Jesus that this young man is standing here before you. And we are thankful for that. So we're going to worship this morning. We're going to go into communion. Center sections, you're going to come down this row. Outside sections, you're going to go around the outside. We'd ask you to take the elements and go back to your seats, and then Austin is going to lead us in a unifying taking and remembrance of the sacrifice that Jesus made for each and every one of us this morning. Would you stand with us and join us in worship this morning?